1: Welcome to our show today and the show is called Innovations in Opioid Abuse Treatment. Any healthcare practitioner who has been around in the last three decades can easily remember being chastised for under-medicating our surgical and chronic pain patients. We learned in conferences and news programs that people with real pain cannot become addicted ignoring centuries of medical history. These myths were not an accident or even an unexpected error, but were consciously circulated lies by a pharma company looking to make a lot of money on their narcotic product. This brings us to a shattering current reality in America and in the world of hundreds of thousands to millions who have uh, died or had their lives destroyed by these drugs. Today's panel is made up of some of the people who recognize the crisis researched and piloted non opioidal solutions. Please welcome, um, uh, I think right now we're going to um, add in uh, Dr. Mark Rosenberg and Dr. Alexis La Pietra, who are from St. Joe's um, Medical Center in uh, Patterson, New Jersey. And I'm just going to let them introduce themselves and go from there.
2: Thank you, Leanne. Uh, this is Mark Rosenberg. I am Chairman of Emergency Medicine at St. Joseph's Health in Patterson, New Jersey. And I'll ask my colleague, Alexis, to introduce herself. And then I want to tell you a little bit about how this ALTO program even started. But, Alexis?
1: Hi, everybody.
0: This is Dr. Alexis Pietra. I am Assistant Chief for Pain Management and Addiction Medicine, and worked alongside with Mark as we built our Alternatives to Opioids, our ALTO program. So, Mark, why don't you kick us off and give us a little history about ALTO?
2: You know, when Alexis and I got together back in 2014, so five short years ago, we knew there was a problem with managing pain in emergency departments. There was much variability, there was no real standardization. Uh, Every physician would treat somebody a little bit differently. So the beginning of our journey was really to come up with acute pain management protocols to decrease the variability and to standardize things. But as we did that, we realized that there was an opioid crisis out there. And as we investigated some of these great protocols, what we realized is we could decrease the reliance on opioids and at the same time actually improve pain. So the ALTO program, which stands for Alternatives to Opioids, is actually, now this is a mouthful. ALTO is a multimodal, multidisciplinary, evidence-based, targeted acute pain management program. What that means is we treat pain better, we standardize it, and we actually improve patient satisfaction and give them better pain relief. Uh, So it has been an interesting journey that took us from 2014 today and uh, now this is a common treatment protocol across the country. I'll let Alexis talk a little bit more about that, uh, but we're also seeing state initiatives and hospital initiatives and federal initiatives. But Alexis, you want to tell us a little bit more about that?
0: Sure. So um, just to sum up what Mark was referring to, the ALto program, really came to be so we could have ease of practice for treating pain management patients. We didn't want practitioners to just feel like they had one option for severe pain, and that was opioids. We wanted to have as many options as possible for patients and for practitioners. So this was a physician education, patient safety, patient education movement, and our goal was to use multiple different drugs that had evidence behind them to treat pain as opposed to simply masking pain. So we'll combine ibuprofen, acetaminophen, acetaminophen, lidocaine patches, maybe even trigger point injections for low back pain. We will use different non-pharmacological approaches to pain, such as music therapy or even touchless um, practices, and we were trying to elevate the practice of pain management in the ER. When we started doing this, we had great adoption early on by practitioners in the emergency department. And sir, we suddenly got a surge of interest because everywhere across the country, practitioners are really trying to grab at something to do better. So Mark and I started lecturing, and we joined forces with the American College of Emergency Physicians, who also felt that this was really a strategic initiative that could help emergency medicine practitioners across the country. So we started to putting together educational models and uh, lectures and PowerPoints and online tools and videos, and we really wanted to disseminate this best practice, which is relatively easy to implement, and the medications most of us already have in our emergency department, so we wanted to have a product that we could share with the nation and have everybody be able to provide easy, standardized care for pain patients in light of the opioid crisis. And in, you know, outside of the clinical side of things, there was a lot of attention from legislators who were discussing more on the federal level, how can we implement something nationally so we can make this really standardized and we can have healthcare systems buy into this because it's really best practice and what about making this federal law and having some money behind it. So Mark, you played a big role with uh, St. Joseph's and ASAP and helping to drive this federally. Do you want to chat about how you did that?
2: Yes, you know, this was part of this five-year journey, what, we, what I did is had the opportunity to meet with our senator and congressman, Senator Booker and Congressman Pascrell, and we talked about how were we able to accomplish tre- treating and really getting a hold of AIDS uh, back years ago, and there was a um, law, an act that was called the Ryan White Act, where the government put in money and support to actually take care of HIV AIDS. And the analogy, analogy was that can we do this with opioids? Uh, with the help of, those, of that congressman and, and senator, we put together two acts. Uh, one was the ALTO Act, which was um, to use alternatives in the Emergency Department Act. And the second one was called the POWER Act, which was preventing overdoses while in the Emergency Room Act, which was really the use of MAT, Medical Assisted Treatment and a warm handoff to a community partner. Amazingly, uh, on October 24th, both of those were signed into law by President Trump, and now there's a national initiative to take ALTO uh, nationwide, and we're waiting for exactly how Health and Human Services wants to expand this so that every emergency department in the country uh, can treat patients with alternatives to opioids rather than high reliance on opioids. And with saying that, I just want to comment on one thing. So many people believe that ALTO means we will not use opioids. But in reality, uh, we treat pain aggressively using alternatives first. But if alternatives are not really helping the patient, we will use opioids when needed. But because of this great change in our protocols and how we standardize things, we were really able to decrease the use of opioids by 82% in our emergency department over a two-year period, and went from 17% of our patients getting opioids to just 2%. Alexis, do you want to continue and, and talk about uh, the impact of the ALTO program when we look at it throughout the entire healthcare system?
0: Sure. Uh, to follow up on your point about using the opioids, so our goal really, Mark, was to keep opioid-naive patients opioid-naive if we could. So we were traditionally reaching for opioids, thinking that's what we needed to use, they were safe, they were non-addictive, and we certainly came to realize while in this crisis that, that op- there are opioid harms. And if we can use any alternative and avoid unnecessary exposure to opioids, then that's a win for the patient. They don't have any exposure, and that means they have extremely minimal risk to move on to opioid use disorder, dependency, or addiction. So our goal was to treat pain aggressively, certainly rely on opioids if necessary, but exactly right, Mark, we were really trying to keep those opiate-naive patients opiate-naive. And of course, the emergency department is not an island uh, that functions without any interventions from anybody else. So we really, as we launched this program, we had to talk to everybody outside of the emergency department as well. We felt transition of care was important. We wanted other practitioners to continue with an opioid-naive focus and a multimodal focus. So this quickly went live throughout the whole healthcare system, much to our surprise, but really everybody wanted to do better. So I love highlighting Dr. Roger Kearse's work from our OB-GYN department because they were using a large percentage of opioids on post-cesarean section patients because when you have open abdominal surgery, you think that's the perfect candidate that should be getting opioids, but moms were very sleepy. Moms were not able to get up and move around. Moms were having difficulty holding the babies because of somnolence. So when Dr. Kearse met with us and asked, how can OB do better, we realized there was lots of room for improvement, and they've reduced their opioids. Similarly, around 80% pain scores have reduced the same amount with alternative use. Patients are more satisfied. And I think really the take-home point is you don't know until we try. We're in this traditional setup where we reach for opioids because we know they're going to work, but maybe we don't need to use them on everybody. Mm -hmm. Maybe we can use targeted therapy where we treat the inflammatory pain, we chip away at the pain with a multimodal approach, and the opioids are there, but we're finding we are much less reliant on them when we have a multimodal approach and this focus on treating the patient and treating pain. So now the whole healthcare system is focusing on how they can use Alto in different areas and different specialties, and there's an awareness now that there's evidence on non-opioid medications, and those medications work. So how can we put them into practice? How can we educate our physicians and docs, and how can we educate our patients to
1: know what treatments
0: might be right for them?
1: And so, Thank you. Um, Mark, what do you think? Uh, I'm going to stop you there. Uh, thank you, Dr. Rosenberg and uh, Dr. La Pietra. Um, we have two more people that have come in, and I want to bring them into the conversation too. So, uh, Dr. John um, uh, Nelson is from the president of the HealthcareEnvironment.com, and um, also Dr. Michael um, uh, Graham who um, has been working with this group and would like to um, have some input to the discussion here. So, John, do you want to come in?
3: Yeah, thank you, Leanne. Uh, Nice to hear your uh, very good review, uh, Dr. Rosenberg and Dr. LaPietra. Thank you so much for your engaging and important information. And um, I've known you for several years since I've worked with St. Joseph's for many, many years, but I've just been recently um, engaged with your organization as it relates to opioids. So we have um, since then I've been pulling in other parties to understand this complex issue related to opioid use disorder. So your ALTO program is very fascinating and I'm so glad to see the good results that you've had thus far. Now uh, my company works with uh, research and uh, developing models that are specified for specific outcomes, and we'll talk about that later. But um, I'm going to, uh, we're going to talk to uh, Alicia House, who's the Director of um, Intake uh, at the North Star Behavioral Health in Minnesota. I'll let her introduce herself, but before that, I'll turn it over to Michael, uh, who will be um, sharing with. Alicia, regarding the resident care and the long-term care for opioid use disorder. So, Michael, I'm just going to turn this over to you so you can um, have a chat with Alicia.
2: Sure. Thank you, John. Um, uh, Good morning. I think good afternoon, uh, Alicia. I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit. Uh, Hi. I'm wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about Uh, What North Star Behavioral Health, the Opioid Addiction Recovery Program, what services you offer to those who have opioid use disorder, commonly referred to as OUD?
0: Right. Thank you, Michael. So, North Star Behavioral Health is a company that was created in order to sort of step outside the box of the current treatment, um, you know, what we've currently been doing to manage, I guess, opioid addiction, Um, what we did is we made it opioid-specific. So most treatment facilities are ones that take on any substance use disorder. Um, We do, I guess, um, expect at least a moderate or severe opioid dependency in order to qualify for our program, meaning that everybody in our care has an opioid use dependency. Um, Also, what we also... Offer is medically assisted treatment for those clients when they admit. So Suboxone, Methadone, or Vivitrol are all options for our clients while they're in our care. It is not something they have to be on, but it is an option if they choose to be. Um, We do have a Suboxone provider that works with us on site, and I'm sure that um, you will introduce Dr. Kemper a little bit later on or after this, and he could speak more on that. Um, And then methadone and Vivitrol are usually things we contract out. Um, Something else that we wanted to do differently was make the The level of care to be extended, uh, longer than what has normally been seen. So most sites, uh, will probably give you maybe a 28 day, maybe a 60 day at most. Um, we work with clients for a solid 90 days in a high intensity residential setting while they're with us, um, and then step them down from there. So we believe that, especially with the opioid, um, use disorder, it is very uncommon that you're going to see them get into a good rhythm or a stable um, you know, even sleeping pattern or living pattern uh, before day thirty or after day thirty. Um, so something like ninety days is going to give them that option to stabilize for a longer term before moving on. Um, then once they're done with the high intensity residential, we do have an IOP and sober living aspect that they can um, move into that goes for nine months. So we really want to continue um, or create that continuum of care for a full three hundred and sixty-five days. Right now, it's not. Very uncommon that people will kind of transition from site to site or treatment facility to treatment facility and sort of get bumped around. Um, this is something where hopefully they can feel comfortable. Um, they gain a sense of you know stability and um, comfortability with the clinicians, the staff, and also just you know, us as a company so that they know that they can trust us and we know exactly what their care is. Oftentimes, if you switch from provider to provider or site to site, um, a lot about who you are and, um, you know, where you're at in your recovery gets lost. So, the idea is that this is something that they can continue on without having to start over, so to speak.
2: Great. Um, Alyssa, could you tell us a little bit about Um, What the, if you will, the typical day might be for a person who's in the intensive residential program, what kind of therapies or groups uh, they might uh, go to, and what that experience is like um, being a part of uh, such an intensive residential treatment program with, with other individuals
0: yeah absolutely. So um a typical day, uh, Monday through Friday, there are groups that run between you know eight a m three forty. you know being in high intensity, you do have at least thirty to forty hours of clinical, um also one on ones with your clinician or mental health, if that is something that you also, Um, are involved in. Not every client is, but some do choose to have mental health providers, too, during their stay. Um, But group doesn't consist of just sitting in a room and um, listening to a speaker or, you know, talking through your day. Sometimes it can, absolutely, but other things that we'll do is kind of get them out and about. So whether that be um, volunteer work um, at Feed My Starving Children, which is something in the area that they do um, biweekly, or going to the library, going to the park, you know, part of recovery is, isn't just your, your day-to-day inside a residential treatment center. It's also how are you going to live your life when you're done and what is that going to consist of and how is that going to look? So, you know, getting them involved in sober activities, um, also giving them, you know, a, a new sense of, I guess, purpose on what that might mean for them when they're done is really important as well. Um, There is a lot of different methods of clinical that we try to bring into their um, recovery weather with us. I'm sure, as you know, a lot of facilities really do work the 12 steps. That is an option, but that's not the only option. Um, We're a big believer in client-based, meaning that not one-size-fits-all. So, you know, we do go off-site for NA meetings three times a week, and if 12 steps is what works for you, then there is that opportunity. However, there's other... um, Sort of clinical treatments that get brought into the equation, and they may draw towards those as well. Um, you know, I'm not an expert in exactly all the, the the clinical day-to-day that they do, but I do know that we have um, multiple outside contractors too that come in and sort of bring a. Uh, A new insight into maybe what works for them or what may work for somebody else. So, um, you know, we also on the weekends, you know, maybe go off site and do some fun activities. Um, we try to do health education groups, which is also important. Art, art therapy. Um, you know, getting them more involved in, you know, looking at where they want to go, sober living, um, and, Also, taking trips to maybe go see their sober living site or their outpatient. Um, You know, the last thing we also want them to do is not go back to the same environment that they came from. Oftentimes, that usually becomes their demise. And if we can get them to, you know, look somewhere else and build their future in a different location, that'll probably be best for their recovery. (laughs)
1: Alicia, that is wonderful. This might be a good time, um, unless you have some questions for Alicia. Uh, do you want to bring in Dr. Kemper? Uh, John.
2: Sure. I would um, just um, maybe like to ask um, one more question, um, Great. Alicia, and and I think this could also relate to Doctors Rosenberg and La Pietra. For Alicia, what do you think are some of the challenges in, in persons? you know, who go through treatment and in maintaining sobriety. And with Dr. Lapietra and Rosenberg, um, we've talked about an individualized approach to pain management. What do you think are some of the challenges in a person sort of maintaining and working effectively with a more individualized approach to pain management? So, Alyssia, do you want to start?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, So, I would say... Uh, oftentimes, yeah the the pain management is is going to you know be complicated for anyone um you know i think that alto program could be a a great substitute for people who are on opioids however i think it's also getting them you know in the community and building a a new sense of You know, purpose for themselves other than maybe what they were used to prior to. Um, so whether that be, you know, family, living situation, job, um, oftentimes there's a reason why they, you know, got on opioids to begin with. So I think that's a really tough question. Uh, what, what is it that is probably their biggest struggle? But yeah, I would say, you know, their environment, getting them, you know, switched into a new lifestyle and kind of just believing that there is, there needs to be you know, a whole new way of life. It's not just the use, it's every day what they do and who they're around. So um, it's tough, but I also think medically-assisted treatment is a great alternative, too, especially for those people who are still battling pain. Um, I know methadone has been a great option for some clients who may still have pain management that they need, but also, you know, looking to get or use it to as maintenance to come off of um, opioid use as well. So,
2: Thank you. And, and doctors Rosenberg and LaPietre, do you have anything to add to that?
0: I will say that I think using buprenorphine, especially initiating it from the emergency department, is a great first step, especially in emergency medicine, to be able to address opioid use disorder while also addressing pain. In the past, it was really, everybody's between a rock and a hard spot. When you're trying to deal with someone who's abusing opioids but has severe pain, you want to reach for the opioid. But as we're talking about, we're looking for alternatives. And although buprenorphine is a partial agonist um, for the opioid receptor, it partially antagonizes as well, which means it's a really safe option. So in St. Joe's and Patterson, in many places across the country as well, we're starting to use buprenorphine not only to treat the acute withdrawal, but also to understand its efficacy for pain management. So it's a fantastic medication for patients who are trying to get off of using opioids um, but also trying to address their pain. And this is a nice, safe drug, and we look to transition them for maintenance therapy, and it's, really a, it's been fantastic and life-changing not only for our patients but also for our doctors who feel like we're actually able to do something, treat their many different issues, and at least stabilize them medically.
2: Great. Thank you very much. I could just jump um, in as well. Um, John, is it all right if I make a comment? Um, oh, please, Mark. Yes. I, 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 I think it's important to realize that those patients who come in dependent or addicted to opioids are all from varying backgrounds, and everybody needs to be treated with an individualized approach, whether it's medical-assisted treatment, what type of counseling they need, housing, and otherwise. Um, a 62-year-old a housewife who has been dependent on opioids and not living on the street is very different than a 28-year-old who lives on the street shooting heroin. So uh, I-, I think it's important for everybody to realize that not everybody who's addicted or dependent on opioids is um, somebody who lives on the street. We all know that, but we have to put that into our construct when we start treating people.
3: Those are such Thank good you. points, Dr. Rosenberg. And I think this is a good time for us to uh, listen to, uh, to, talk with uh, Dr. Kemper uh, more about some of the um, medication-assisted uh, therapies, the MAT therapies um, as well. Do you agree, Michael?
2: I do. Uh, so, Dr. Uh, Kemper, who's medical director at North Star Behavioral Health Opioid Addiction Recovery, will now talk with us about medication-assisted
4: treatment. My name is Dr. Patrick Kemper and I am the medical director at North Star Behavioral Services uh, in Minnesota. And at North Star Behavioral Services, we provide care to individuals that suffer from opioid use disorders. Uh, The services that we provide include medication assisted treatment, which we will refer to as MAT for the remainder of this talk. In In addition to counseling as well as behavioral therapies. I initially began working at North Star in March of 2016 amid the opioid epidemic that we currently are in, and I was pulled to this field uh, considering uh, the proportion to which uh, this epidemic has grown, and I do feel that as a medical doctor, I have indirectly been involved in this epidemic. Um, and I think it's important for all providers to acknowledge that if we have treated an individual with pain medications, including uh, opioid pain medications in the past, we likely have contributed to this, uh, to this epidemic. And I feel it is our obligation as providers to uh, address it. And the way that we are doing it is, uh, as I said, at, at North Star Behavioral Health with medication-assisted treatments. This medication-assisted treatment is an evidence-based care using the FDA-approved medications, uh, which work in the same area of the brain where opioids exert their effects, thereby satisfying the areas. Uh, the effect of the medication is to alleviate the symptoms of withdrawal, uh, as well as the cravings that are associated with illicit opioid use. There are several medications that are commonly used to treat opioid use disorder, and these include methadone, buprenorphine, which is commonly referred to as Suboxone, as well as naltrexone, which is commonly known as Zibitrol. Uh, these are medications that fall into two basic categories, one being agonist and the other being antagonist. Uh, the history of these medications uh, goes back to the 1940s. Uh, however, uh, there were not regulations for methadone treatment programs established until 1972, Amid reports of increased heroin addiction in large metropolitan cities. Uh, The uh, Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration established guidelines uh, for for methadone treatment in 1993, and this was the mainstay of treatment until the late 1900s when buprenorphine was developed. The Drug Addiction Treatment Act in 2000 allowed physicians to begin treating opioid use disorder with certain narcotic medications within the medical practice setting as compared to requirements of being treated with methadone in an opioid treatment program. Now, Naltrexone is another medication as we discussed and this was approved for opioid use disorder in 2010. We do see the majority of our individuals in our facility uh, respond best when placed on some form of medication-assisted treatment. Uh, This Treatment also has been shown to decrease overdose deaths, reduce morbidity and mortality, increase treatment retention, reduce criminal activity, infectious disease, as well as improve social function. These things have shown abstinence rates in excess of 50% for patients on medication assisted treatment. Are there any questions at this point?
3: Well, Dr. Kemper, can you address which of the medications respond um, within your population? Do some patients respond better to some
4: than others? Yes, we do have individuals in our program who respond to one medication more so than another, and much of that is dependent on when they have last used illicit opioids. For instance, an individual who has not used for months and is still experiencing cravings, the best treatment option may be an antagonist uh, rather than an agonist. In addition to continuing counseling as well as behavioral therapies that we offer in our program. And Dr. Kimper, as,
2: as you think about the research related to that uh, that is still needed to help move medication-assisted therapy forward in the treatment paradigm for OUD, what do you see as some of our research needs currently?
4: I think some of the research needs that would help providers ultimately begin to treat more individuals with opioid use disorder uh, would involve a selection of the appropriate medication as well as the appropriate dosage. I do think that there is great variability in response to certain doses, uh, and it can be confusing at times. Uh, I do also think that uh, research that Documents or, uh, or looks at efficacy uh, for individuals who may have been addicted to fentanyl versus oral pain medications or heroin um, would be uh, helpful as well.
3: And tell us this, uh, Dr. Kemper. How do you manage patients that come in seeking uh, pain medication um, when you know that is a risk or they have a history of an OUD, knowing that 60 to 75 of patients um, begin their OUD issue with some sort of pain medication, how do you manage patients that might be requesting methadone or some opioid for their pain medication?
4: In our treatment setting, individuals uh, all do already have established uh, opioid use disorder. Uh, However, there are many of them who also have chronic pain. And so we obviously want to treat that pain as effectively as possible. Uh, Some options include alternate forms of uh, pain relief, um, including physical therapy, um, yoga, et cetera. Um, We do also work uh, in consultation with chronic pain specialists Uh, to help these individuals alleviate their pain without the use of narcotics or oral opioids. And, Dr. Kemper, we've
3: been talking about the ALTO program earlier, and I'm just wondering if you work with any programs or if any um, ALTO-type programs refer to you, um, and these patients already come with training in other methods of managing their pain.
4: Um, we don't necessarily receive those referrals regarding pain management Um, these individuals do frequently have chronic pain and unfortunately many of them have not had that pain managed well and have been self-medicating with the use of opioids Uh, however when we bring them into our program, we certainly help facilitate care either within our program or uh, referring to a pain clinic. Okay, very good. Okay. And uh, Dr.
2: Kemper, I'm wondering if you could reflect perhaps on a concern or a question that um, a patient might have in the way of gee, I'm wondering if these medications um, are actually curing my addiction or my dependence on opioids, or are they just primarily helping me control my cravings so that I can, if you will, be an effective member of society? And that would seem like I'm going to have to be on these maybe the rest of my life. Certainly. We
4: have, or I have this conversation frequently with, Individuals, as we are discussing treatment options uh, as some of them certainly uh, initially have concerns about just substituting one drug for another, if you will, and certainly this has contributed to the stigma and decreased the use of uh, medication-assisted treatment. However, as I explained to them, if one considers the use of an illicit substance and all of the issues that come along with it, Um, including health problems, broken relationships, crime, and the negative consequences, uh, and compare that to the use of a medication that is being prescribed for them that ultimately stabilizes their life and allows them to function socially, allows them to ultimately uh, decrease cravings, uh, to reestablish relationships um, that... Uh, ultimately they, they do treat the addiction even if they are taken indefinitely and certainly don't have the negative consequences associated with uh, illicit opioid use.
3: Thank you. Doctor, and, and Dr. Kemper, can you tell us a little bit about um, the issue with recidivism with opioid use disorder once they've um, recovered and uh, They've gone through the year-long program in North Star. Um, do you see them come back often? Is there a certain success factor that you
4: note? And in the Yeah, I'll leave it at that. Uh, yes, uh, absolutely. Well, as we consider the chronic nature to addiction uh, and, and opioid use disorder, uh, certainly relapse is very, very common, and, in fact, um, it is the rule and not the exception and as we look at success I think that we have to reflect on this and uh, ultimately you know we do have individuals who complete our program uh, who ultimately then relapse Uh, we then once again have to uh, you know readdress Uh, all of these issues that we had initially and uh, perhaps, you know, restart or change uh, medication-assisted treatment, uh, maybe become more intense with counseling as well as behavioral therapies. Um, And, you know, the goal is ultimately to extend time between relapses and eventually, uh, you know, obtain and achieve complete sobriety and and maintain that.
2: Thank you, Dr. Kemper, for sharing your insights into medication-assisted treatment Um, in the intervention with persons with opioid use disorder. Um, John, I know that you and I have been working together previously, along with Alicia, actually, on the development of a federal grant application um, in the area of opioid use disorder intervention. Could you share some of the research findings that that we have been thinking about in terms of continuing needs? for research and OUD intervention?
3: Oh, absolutely. And what I find uh, fascinating about the timing of your question is that um, Dr. Rosenberg, Dr. LaPietra, uh, Dr. Kemper, and Alicia all have hit upon um, one of the variables that we have identified in our research um, as being in need for deeper study. And specifically, I'm talking about um, developing models that are specified for opioid use disorder, and what I mean by model specification is I mean the research is specified or complete to study the outcome of interest and of course, our outcome is to be opioid free, not to be uh, not opioid free we still do use opioids, but to um, not have an issue with the opioid use disorder where you have an addiction problem to it. So what we find, um, I, uh, Dr. LaPietra, she had talked about um, the different um, MAT therapies, specifically uh, buprenorphine, uh, using that in ED for both uh, opioid use disorder and pain management, um, Dr. Rosenberg, he talked about how different patients are and how some of the elderly versus some of the younger have very different needs. And then Alicia talked about how it's important that once they finish their intensive program that they're discharged to a good environment. Now, those are just a few of the variables that we need to study concurrently so we can understand which of those variables relate to, most strongly, opioid use disorder in the different demographics. Now, one of the big things that's being identified in the literature, there's actually two. Number one, we know that some people do better with MAT therapy, some do better without, and some do better um, with uh, sort of a combination of different MAT therapies, but we currently it's more in the theoretical stage than the scientific stage, so we need to study that more deeply. We also need to study pain and opioid use disorder. 60 to 75 percent of all those who have an issue with opioid use disorder were introduced, if you will, uh, uh, into OUD by pain some sort of pain and using an opioid for pain control. Now we tend to study pain in isolate and we tend to study opioid use disorder in isolate. So we don't really understand when they started, when their pain started, if it's chronic pain, if it's acute pain, Uh, we don't really understand how they really relate as it, it relates to recidivism and to the OUD itself. So we need to study that more deeply. So, um, that, in my mind, is the biggest issue in really getting a handle on OUD is studying things concurrently in specified models so that we can identify what predicts um, OUD. Now, Alicia and I have proposed um, uh, a grant, and uh, we have also included um, the uh, Dr. Rosenberger and Dr. LaPietra in grant writing as well. But um, I would like to see what Alicia's thoughts are regarding this model specification, if that's okay, because um, she lives this world, uh, as does Dr. Rosenberg and Dr. La Pietra. But since she and I are currently working on um, this grant, I would love for her to sort of reflect on what she thinks of this model specification and our grasp on our research from an operations standpoint.
0: Yeah, thanks, John. Actually, I wanted to add something to what you were speaking about regarding, you know, researching a little bit more on Matt and how that actually, I guess you know, changes a person's recovery or has an effect on it, I think one of the biggest questions people ask me or the biggest question, you know, that's out there when it comes to opioid use disorder is, you know, what's the success rate? And I think success is, you know, always going to be extremely difficult to measure. You know, there's a human element to success and, you know, what that means, I I guess, is anybody's definition. Um, But one thing that I did start um, looking at, and you and I um, have, you know, kind of dived into this a little bit over the past year was um, I started monitoring how many of our clients were um, were on methadone suboxone or nothing no mat at all and then also um, comparing that to their length of stay in a program um, and i did come to find that people who are on mat in our program had a longer length of stay than people who are on no mat and then in fact i even found that people who are on suboxone over the methadone actually um, had a higher level of or a high, or an, a higher average length of stay as the people um, who were on methadone. So I thought that that was extremely interesting and something that, you know, could really cha- be a game changer when it comes to people um, with OUD of, you know, does it increase or it in fact increase your chances of, you know, staying in recovery Um if you're on mat, of course, and not, which we know that studies show it does, but then what about the type of mat you're on too? So um, I think that that would obviously be extremely beneficial um, to look into more, research more, and kind of get an idea of what that might be and kind of maybe have some studies to show clients or um, some, you know, evidence-based practices that they can look at and think, okay, there's, there might be something to this.
3: That's a great point, Alicia. So I have a question for you regarding that. Were you able to correlate your findings or examine that in relationship to the literature?
0: Right. So, um, you know, I haven't, I'll be honest, I'm I'm probably not really um, well versed in that. I think that there is a lot of literature that shows that Matt coupled with uh, treatment obviously has a higher success rate as just treatment alone or just mat alone. Um, however, I'm not quite sure there's uh, too much out there kind of, showing the difference between um, the different types of MAT and and how that can reflect a level of, you know, like I said, quote, success. I guess I, I don't like always using that term, but um, I think there is probably got to be a little bit more literature out there to see what else people have found based upon the different ones. And I know suboxone or buprenorphine is, is fairly new still, and I know methadone too, you know, it's been out there for a while, but, you know, let's start comparing the two, um, especially with people with... Um, you know, in treatment to see, you know, how they, I guess, compare.
3: Right. Now, I'd like to make one more statement, Michael. Is that okay? And then we can open up. Absolutely. Sure. Um, uh Just as a follow-up to what Alicia just stated in um, not being familiar with the literature, that is absolutely fine, and this is why it's important that researchers like myself collaborate with operations so that we can combine the literature with what we are finding out in our respective organizations, because it may be that this has been researched and we could find support. It may be that these findings at North Star Behavioral Health are unique, and thus it gives us more another variable to study in our specified model. But the point here that is um, coming to mind for me is that when we develop models for research, it's important that we not only integrate the variables we find in the literature, that have been identified as important, like good environment, like starting buprenorphine in the ED, et cetera, but also to um, use the context. So what is the operations hunch? What is a hunch? And then when we combined what we experience in operations and what we know in the literature, we get models that are specified for adequate measurement uh, across facilities. Once we gather that information for... Um, We want to gather data from that from those variables, then we would just correlate that with the opioid use disorder incidence, and then study that over time. Great,
1: thank you, Michael. We've got about four minutes.
2: Okay, thank you. Doctors Rosenberg and, and La Pietra, as you think about continuing your work in the in the Alto program, um, what what research needs do you think would be helpful, or have you identified for yourself? Uh, it's Mark Rosenberg, um, if I could answer that um, on a global scale, not specifically what's happening at St. Joe's. Um, what we know is alternative therapies work extremely well to manage acute and chronic pain. And the development of more alternative therapies and medications that work, that are not that would depend or create dependencies like uh, opioids do, is very built. Uh, the pharmaceutical company, which has been part of the problem, as we stated early in this call, uh, needs to be part of the solution and do research and come up with better products uh, that can be used across the continuum great and um, and John, um, in addition to a model specification, um, can you think of other um, research needs um, that we have in in the treatment community, for example? Um, I think about um, all of the providers in, if you will, rural America uh, that are working with persons with OUD, and perhaps the level of resources that that they have at their disposal versus providers who are potentially working in um, urban areas or areas where um, research and, and major university centered. Care is is being
3: provided. That's a, That's a big really question good for point, one minute it's a very left, John. Research very you... variable.
1: John, you've got about a minute.
3: Sure. Um, okay. One of the things that we that has been identified in the literature is that uh, getting treatment for OUD in an urban center is much more feasible and. Um, because there's just more resources. The centers are closer, the different resources for recovery are closer together, so it's much easier than in the rural. So that has been identified in the literature. I haven't done a systematic review on just that specific topic, but I know that that is definitely an issue the other thing that has been identified uh, in the research is having a partner um i forget what the... let's see what are those partners you have at the uh, the recovery those um,
0: aids? the what partners
3: well they're like aids they're, they're it's people that have gone through recovery themselves
0: oh yeah peer recovery support specialists yeah yes so and there's this a, is new a new sub reform that basically training, a new
3: profession, if you will, that's surfacing people that have gone through recovery that actually go through
0: yep.
3: and help and support people that are in active recovery to so they can relate with them. That is a, has been a big success in sustaining recovery over time. Absolutely. Well, thanks everyone. We so appreciate
2: your contributions the field of OUD treatment and pain management in the in the United States.
1: I really want to thank everyone. Um, I'm just so pleased that you were all able to come together on this Really complicated issue. So, uh, we got kind of an inside out start here, and I wanted to just thank each of my guests. Um, Dr. Mark Rosenberg and Dr. Alexis La Pietra are both from St. Joseph's Medical Center in Patterson, New Jersey, kind of ground zero on a lot of this. Uh, Um, crisis uh, started kind of in that area on the East Coast, and um, so they've been involved for just about as long as anybody has in working on this. And then um, Dr. Um, Patrick Kemper and Alicia House, who are at the North Star Behavioral Health uh, Services in St. Paul, Minnesota, and then a special thank you to uh, Dr. John Nelson who is the president of healthcareenvironment.com in Minneapolis, um, for helping us pull this together and talking with all of the individuals. And then uh, also especially Dr. Michael Graham, uh, who is the director of the BSN program at the College uh, of Adults. And he's also Associate Professor of Nursing at St. Catherine's University uh, in uh, the Twin Cities area. So I'm very grateful for all of you and the excellent work that you are doing and being able to share this. Um, my audience um, is a lot of nurses, and I know that uh, nurses in all areas are running into this kind of problem. And so to at least have a, a handle on or a little uh, idea of what all these... Um, Um, uh, things that you're able to do to get us away from opioids is just so very important. Um, This is a complicated issue on so many levels and the people who are dealing with it are dealing uh, from mental, emotional, physical, spiritually, and then multiple diagnoses. people who have been traumatized. Um, As Dr. Mark Rosenberg was saying, each individual person um, has to be looked at as all of their issues and not just the one issue of addiction to opioids. So um, our time has come to an end. I just I can't thank you enough. And um, um, I, I just appreciate all that you've been able to share. Thank you, Leanne.
3: Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thanks.